0: Psalm 121 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. I uh, have been for the last year and a half or so. uh, Heather and I have been writing a devotional on a weekly basis for uh, Dan and Sharon Stolbarger. They they do a a post every single day in the Psalms and have somebody just comment a little thought on the Psalms. And uh, a couple months ago, I found myself in the the songs of ascent in Psalms and uh, was specifically commenting on Psalm one twenty one and Psalm one twenty eight, and uh, just really found that the Lord kind of placed those in my lap at a really um, needed time. And so, anyway, as we were looking through the summer and the teaching calendar and what we're gonna be, what we're gonna have coming up, um, I thought it would be kind of cool to take a couple weeks and go through Psalm 121 this week, Psalm 128 next week before we kind of get fall when people return to church, right? And uh, we're kind of leading up to that. And so anyway, this morning we're just going to break down Psalm 121 and talk through that a bit. Um, Before I get started, I did want to clarify a couple things. Last week we had kind of an update Sunday just to give people the opportunity to be caught up with where we're at with the particularization of the churches and Um, we left and got some feedback and realized um, we probably there were probably some things that felt fairly ambiguous to everybody, and that was intentional but not communicated to you guys, and so I want to apologize for that. Um, But I also want you guys to know that if if you've been part of our church long enough, you know that twice a year we do these family meetings where we come together with those that consider themselves owners or bought in part of the, the church home here at Anthem. And um, and at those family meetings, we kind of break down the nuts and bolts and the logistics of everything. And so uh, that family meeting will be coming up this fall, and we'll have a date and a time for you guys uh, soon. And I just wanted you guys to know that as far as, like, breaking down the nuts and bolts of our budget and all the decisions that are being made, that will be the venue for that discussion to be had. And I just wanted to bring clarity to that for anybody that left here feeling like, yeah, that was kind of ambiguous. It was intentional, and not because we're trying to hide anything. So anyhow, uh, jumping into Psalm 121, would you guys bow your heads with me? Let's just pray. Ask Jesus to show up and reveal himself through the psalm this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word like we get every single week, and God, um, we thank you for the worship time this morning. What an awesome time for us to honor your name and to bring a lot of worship to you, Jesus, to humbly bear our hearts before you. and And acknowledge that you are God and we are not. And so this morning, um, Jesus, as we dig into the Psalms, I ask, Jesus, that you continue that thread this morning of reminding us that you are God and we are not. And you created us with the intended purpose for our lives to bring honor and worship and glory to your name. And I just pray, God, for this morning to be a fresh wind of encouragement to those in this room that find themselves at the end of summer um, tired, um, thinking about the fall and all the planning that needs to come up and just feeling a little run down. I'm praying this morning, Lord, that it would be as though we're drinking from your streams of living water. Lord, we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You're awake, right? Do I need to take the sweatshirt off in order to get you guys to actually be excited about this morning? I'm sorry. Um, my wife bought it, and I'm sorry, you know, I <laughs> Psalm 121. <laughs> my wife bought it because she knew I would like it. So I'm not. <laughs> uh, okay, anyway. Um, Psalm 121. A couple questions I wanted to ask you guys this morning. Have you ever gone through a situation in your life where you've needed to ask for help? Anybody? Yeah? Um, all you guys are out there are like, what the heck is help? And your wives are like, yeah, you've never asked for help before. Uh, it's interesting when we look at our life, our lives and we see the amount of times that we've hit crossroads in our lives and deliberately have not chosen To ask for help and take things on ourselves. As I was reading through the Psalm a couple months ago, it just it was like the Lord was reiterating to me how often in my own life I run to everything but Him when I know that He's my my lifeline for help. And I reach for everything else and then find as I reach for everything else that I end up tired and worn out and anxious um, because I didn't reach for the, the the actual life preserver for God Himself, and uh, there's as most of you know, I, I traveled for years with a skateboard team, and we used to put like a hundred and fifty thousand miles a year on a van, figurating the United States, and we had many times were blown out tires, we had. Um, tires fall off trailers we had brakes go out in the van we had all these different situations and as I was looking back on those times I I was realizing so often we tried to fix it ourselves, or we just tried to like get to the next city and so like even when our brakes went out in our van um, we we kind of derived a way to you know turn on the on the van get the thing up to like uh 80 or 90 because the speed control was stuck on it, and then we would pop it into neutral while the engine was going, and then we'd coast it for as long as we can, and then pop it back into drive, and we're just like, we just got to get to the next city, and you're thinking like, this is so dumb, right? It was like, you guys are ridiculous, but oftentimes in life, we we sort of hunker along like that, don't we? And, and that's a crazy example, or times when we have driven our cars on literally the wheel, like the the tire is shot and gone and you're on the rim only and you're just like, I just gotta get to that next destination where I can get this thing fixed. And I, I think oftentimes in our life we approach the Lord like that, where um, we, we just will eventually get there, but God, in the meantime, there's all these things I'm going to do to try to rehab the situation until I can finally get to you, when all along what he's looking for is you to come directly to him as though he is the source of help. Like, stop driving on the rim. Stop trying to figure out, it out on your own. Go straight to the Lord. And and so I wonder sometimes, like, why is it that we struggle so much to ask for help? Why is it that we can't stop dead in our tracks and receive the help that God's offering us? Psalm 121. And I'll give some backstory after we get into this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. As you read through the Psalms, you realize that there's these awesome reminders in them, aren't there? Like things we should be reminding ourselves of on a regular basis. And, and I really feel like towards the end of the summer, we're kind of in line for a reminder of sorts because you've had your summer to play and kind of wear yourself out. You're looking at into the fall and trying to get a schedule set and you realize that you're already tired, but now you're going to be more tired because the, the fall's coming and all these things are swirling around in your life and you just realize um, at, at times that you just need to be reminded. We need a reminder. Who is God? Who is God? What are his promises for us? How do we continue to walk in faithfulness to God and continue to remind ourselves, even in the midst of all the trials and the tribulations in our life, of who God is? In, in Psalms 120 through 134, there's these 15 psalms that are referred to as the, the Psalms of Ascent. If you look in your Bibles, it literally says a song of ascent next to these 15 uh, chapters in the book of Psalms. And this word ascent comes from uh, this word that means to go up. And these are also referred to as the pilgrim songs. And so you have 10 uh, of these 15 that are anonymous, um, four that are attributed to, to David's writing, one that Solomon wrote. And they, they formed something of this like travelers or this pilgrim's hymnal as the Hebrew people would go up to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate these three annual feasts. So to break these down for you, there there were these three feasts a year that the Jews would make the trek to Jerusalem from all over the country for these feasts. And these feasts were feasts of reminders. I mean, these were massive celebrations. You came from all over the country three times a year with your family to come celebrate these feasts. And so the first feast that you had in the spring was Passover, Pesach. And so at the Passover feast, you, you were remembering the, the Jews' deliverance from slavery from the Egyptians. And so it was a looking back, like look at God's faithfulness that he brought us out of slavery. He, he, he delivered us from the hands of our enemy, from the Egyptians. And then you come into early, like late spring, early summer, and you've got, The the Feast of Pentecost. And at the Feast of Pentecost, um, you're celebrating God's giving Moses the the law, the the Ten Commandments. And so again, it's a looking back. Like we're celebrating God's faithfulness. We're being reminded of what he's done. And and then the last festival in in the the calendar for them for the year of the three big ones was the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this one, in the fall, this was a festival that actually reminded the Jews that um, that, about how their ancestors had wandered the desert for 40 years and lived in tents and how God took care of them in the midst of this wandering while they lived in these tents or these booths. And it's really interesting. They would actually sleep in these tents to continue to remind themselves of what God did so at these feasts. They, they would sleep in these tents. It's pretty awesome. But the whole purpose of these was, it was these reminders. And what's interesting is like, the, these psalms are written, and then what you have is For years after these psalms were written and they had them to actually read from, they would begin to sing these psalms of ascent as they made the pilgrimage into Jerusalem these three times a year. So you'd have the the, the fathers and the mothers and the kids and the family traveling 30 to to 60 miles, depending on where they're at in in, uh, Israel, to come to Jerusalem for these festivals. And during their travels, they would be singing these songs. Why were they singing these songs? Songs. They were reminders. Like the Jews did such a very good job of constantly reminding them. So like we do not do good with reminders nowadays. For us, in our American culture, anything that's habitual or anything that, that becomes too consistent almost becomes too boring for us. And, and so at times we even write God off because we know all the things to say, we know all the things to do, but we'd rather just live our life and do our own thing. For the Jews, these three times the years, they're making this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. They're singing these songs. And so understand that as, uh, as he, the, the psalmist here is talking about, um, he's, he's, as he's writing this psalm, um, these were psalms that then began to be sung by families while they would travel back to Jerusalem. And so I, I want to look at a couple things before we get into the nuts and bolts of this. One, I want you to look in verse 3. And I want you to see this word. He says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who what? Keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who what? Keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And this word is uh, kind of cool in, in this passage specifically because it, uh, it, it appears six times in these eight verses, this word keep. And, and it's used in, in a way to um, actually uh, not, not as keep as we would think it, but as to preserve something. And so it's translated also as to guard or to protect. And I just want to note that as this word keep is this primary theme throughout these eight verses that we're going to read from, keep. He continues to say that. And then there's also another word. He, he, he mentions Yahweh or Jehovah, Um, as God. Not just God, but Yahweh and Jehovah is mentioned five times. So help for God's people doesn't come from Baal. It doesn't come from any other idols, no other false god. Help alone comes from God himself. And the God was Jehovah. The God um, was Yahweh. And so um, the, the only one who you can truly count on at any day and time, is the Lord who did what? The Lord who was the creator of heaven and earth. As is mentioned in verse 1 and 2. The Lord who never sleeps nor slumbers, which is mentioned in verse 3 and 4. The Lord who is there day and night, verses 5 and 6. The Lord who protects us from evil now and forever, verses 7 and 8. And so, sort of like this traveling family reunion, that God's people would sing these songs together, helping them to focus on the Lord and all that the Lord had done for them, to remind them that He's the creator of heaven and earth, to remind them that He never sleeps nor, nor slumbers, to remind them. that he's there day and night to to remind them that he protects them from evil both now and forever and so imagine your family makes this pilgrimage three times a year to jerusalem for these feasts and as you're journeying to jerusalem again anywhere from 30 to 60 hours to, to to walk there you've got a lot of life to think about in 30 to 60 hours of walking don't you anybody walked 30 to 60 hours recently no We don't like to walk that long, because we don't like to think about life. (laughs) And I think this might be why the Jews understood peace so very well. Because for us, we get into a car to go on a trip, hurry to get to the destination that we're going so that we can hurry up and get there and see the thing that we want to go see. But for the Jews, the journey was actually part of the destination, It wasn't just about where they would go, it was actually also about the journey to get there because there was amazing time that they had together and reminders of who God was as they're working their way to the holy city, to Jerusalem. And so they didn't look forward to Jerusalem because of the sightseeing, but they looked forward to Jerusalem because of the worship and the celebration that would take place when they get there. Um, This week, my my family and I are going to Seattle for a couple days, and Heather and I lived in Seattle for six years, and so it feels a little bit like a second home to us. We love going there. Uh, Judah was born in Seattle. And Oftentimes, as we come through Mercer Island and we're working our way into the city, my kids will throw on that Owl City song, Hello Seattle. Like the minute you start to see the Space Needle and you're coming in, it's like that song comes on, you know, and we're listening to it. And it's all, it's awesome. But for us, it's like we see the destination. Like we're going to Seattle. Like this is second home to us. We love it. We have so many life experiences and, 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 and memories that we've shared in Seattle. But for the Jews, it wasn't just about seeing the Space Needle. It wasn't just about seeing the sights. It was about the experience that was going to be had as they worked their way there and then began to spend a week at a time in this feast, in these celebrations, reminding themselves of what what God has done and who God is. Imagine making those Memories with your kids, parents. Because the memories that we make oftentimes are so shallow, aren't they? Did you see that landmark? Do you remember the beach here or there? And I'm not saying any of these memories are bad. But imagine the memories that took place and what was being ingrained in the family as they worked their way to Jerusalem. It was constant reminders of who God is and what he's done. Imagine your kids being able to partake in that. Even some of us this morning, I think as we sing songs, I was thinking about this, we're worshiping, and some of us will sit there and go, like, why do we do this? What's the point of singing these songs? And I'll encourage you this morning, the point of singing those songs is the constant reminder of who God is, that he is God and we are not, amen? Amen? It's the constant worship and glorifying Jesus who sits on the throne. The one who is creator. The one who does protect us and looks out. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So when we worship, we're reminding ourselves of who Jesus is. And we're giving God the glory that he deserves. So when we come to a place to worship Jesus, we just kind of sit there good song, read through the lyrics, you're missing out on an opportunity to proclaim God's faithfulness. I mean, even as the worship team was up here today, and there was a moment in the song where they just stopped, and we weren't singing any songs. Uh, we weren't singing any lyrics, just the music was playing, and I was thinking in my mind, like, Jesus, you are so good. God, you are so faithful. God, you have shown up every single time, in i like, I'm sitting there reminding myself of who he is. What an awesome opportunity for the church to gather corporately for a time of worship when we think it's Christian karaoke, but really what's taking place is we're pilgrimaging our way to Jerusalem to glorify Jesus. Amen? That's what we're doing in worship. That's why worship is so amazing. It's giving Jesus the honor that he deserves. It's reminding our life and our bodies and our minds of who we're not and who he is when we come to worship. And this was what took place for days at a time with the family unit as they're making their way to Jerusalem. But there's this question that I ask every time I think about this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Like, why in the world did God require them to make these long and difficult pilgrimages pilgrimages three times a year. They could have done it in the quietness of their home, couldn't they? I can do church online. <laughs> I can watch podcasts. Like, but there's something about the pilgrimage. Like For Jesus, it wasn't just about them being able to experience him like in the quietness of their home, it was actually the journey. There was something that God was doing amongst the people while they were pilgrimaging together to Jerusalem. And there's something that God was doing in the people as they gathered together in the holy city in Jerusalem to be reminded of who God is and what he had done for them. And I love the insights of Warren Wiersbe, the, the renowned commentator. He says this, Under the leadership of Moses, the Israelites were a nomadic people for 40 years. But after they settled in Canaan, the Lord required them to go to Jerusalem three times a year. This reminded them that, spiritually speaking, they were still a pilgrim people and needed to depend on the Lord. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, said David. Too many believers today want to be settlers, not pilgrims and strangers. We're happy to settle down in our comfort zones and live as though Jesus never died, Jesus is not coming again, and our lives will never end. We're guilty of what Eugene Peterson calls the tourist mindset. Content to make occasional brief visits with the Lord that are leisurely and entertaining, all the while conforming to this world and enjoying it. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that should make a difference in our lives on earth. We need to feel temporary as we make the pilgrim journey called life. Isn't that awesome? So laced in these eight verses in Psalm 121 are these four truths that I just, I want to sort of remind us of this morning. Um, The first one is this, Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2, he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's interesting that he refers to the hills here, because the hills were both sketchy and exciting. What happened in the hills? I mean, you'd have um, robbers and terrorists in the hills. I mean, we know that with the Good Samaritan, what happens to the dude? He's beaten, he's left on the side. Like, something gnarly happened in the hills. The dude was, like, pillaged and left to die, so you, you have one aspect of the hills that were really frightening for them to travel through. But the other aspect of it is that they knew that the hills pointed to Jerusalem, that they were working, ascending their way up to a place and working their way. And so there was this anticipation of what was to come. And I think it's such an interesting contrast to think about our life because there are things about our life today that are both exciting and terrifying, aren't there? There's things about our life that are both sketchy and very anticipatory. Is that right? Yeah, anticipatory. Um, there are things about our life that, that, that freak us out, but there's also things about life in Jesus that get us really excited about what's to come and what Jesus can do and what he has done in our life. And so the, the hills were kind of this cause for anxiety on one hand and also this, this cause for anticipation on the other. And then he uses this word help. And the the psalmist is asking, where, who is the one who will keep me from stumbling along life's journey? Who will overshadow me? Who will be by my side? Who will keep me from evil? Who will never leave me nor forsake me? It's Yahweh. It's Jehovah. Verse 2 kind of answers this question, and he takes this giant leap. He goes, like, from the hills... And then he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, but it's not even to the hills. It's not even the, the the anticipation of the hills where our help comes from. He goes on, he says, from where does it come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so he, he goes from the hills to the one who created this hills. And, and then the, from the one who created the hills to the one that created the universe, this massive God, And it's sort of this argument that he's giving from like smaller to greater. He's not just the God that created the hills. He's actually the God who created the whole universe. And when you think of it in that context, we are very small in the grand scheme of things of what God's doing and what he's in control of. That the creator God that's talked about in Genesis 1 and 2 was his power source. That he was his help in times of trial and difficulty. That Yahweh made heaven and earth. That he made me, us. That he cares for me and us. That he's omnipotent in power. That he's omnipresent in his presence. That he's omniscient in knowledge. That, that he's great and powerful and powerful and personal. That he's just this God is so huge that we can't quite wrap our minds around him. But it's so amazing to be reminded of who he is and how big he is, isn't it? when you think about the little things that are actually happening in your life in the grand scheme of eternity. John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 talk about this great and awesome creator and about him also being our great and awesome redeemer. That that Jesus saved us, that he redeemed us. That there's this higher throne, that he's actually the king. And that this is our father's world, that we live in and partake in. And so the first thing that we're reminded of is the Lord's power is before us, but the second thing is that the Lord's providence is with us, that he's with us. Verses three and four, he says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And it's kind of interesting in these two verses because there's this change of sorts where he's talking about Um, uh, up top, like, my help comes from the Lord, and then he's saying, like, he will not let your foot be moved. Like, this is not just for me, this is for us. It's not just about the psalmist, it's about the children of God altogether. And he says that God, who, who guards his chosen people, Israel, he says, behold, he who keeps Israel is the same God, the same Yahweh, who now guards us on a personal basis day by day. Is that not insane to think about? He says, he will not let your foot be moved, like he will not allow your foot to move, he won't let your foot slip, he won't let it slide or stagger or be, or be shaken, and he, he he tells us like, it, there's a moment by moment watch over us by Jehovah, that he will keep us, that he will hold us, that, that providentially he's guarding us and he's guiding us and he continues to do so. How many of you have ever walked down a, a steep slope or some sort of narrow ledge with rocks underneath your feet? Anybody? A handful of you. Little Californians, you haven't. I'm really sorry. you You've got to be from the Northwest, you'll get to experience it. But as you're walking down the, the, these rocky like ledges and, and, and these slopes, it's hazardous and it's scary, but God's there. Like in you, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things of life, like life is shaky and it's sketchy at times. but God's there. He, he's constantly there. He's continually there. In fact, he who watches over you does not sleep. He doesn't slumber. God never sleeps on the job. He, he, he's never on duty part-time. He's never off duty. He's always on duty. He never has to take a nap. God never has to go take a break to grab a latte. You know what I mean? He's always on the clock. And as we journey through life, as we make our way through the ups and the downs, there's never one moment when he's not fully aware of every need of his pilgrims. We sleep. He doesn't, right? We need sleep. God does not need sleep. But yet, so often in life, how, often, how many times have you said things like, where's God at? Whatever it is you're going through in life, where's he at? Almost to assume God's taken a nap. And I want to remind you this morning that even if you don't see him and you don't feel him, he's there. And his promise to you this morning, church, is that he won't let your foot be moved if it's planted on the right foundation. That though you walk on shady territory through this life, that though there's gravel and all kinds of stuff underneath your feet, and it seems as though it'd be really easy to bail, and you have every reason to be afraid to put the next foot forward, God promises you that your foot will not be moved. That he's got you. It's interesting that the pagan gods sleep and need rest, but not Jehovah. <laughs> he doesn't doze off. 34, Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. His ear is tuned your voice church third thing that his presence is beside us says in verse five it's like the lord is your keeper the lord is your shade on your right hand the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night and these two verses begin with these really potent like poetic promises that, that that provide this like Amazing word of promise and assurance for us that one of God's uh one of them is of God's protective presence and one of them is of God's personal presence. Wearsby said this: Our keeper is on the throne looking down on us, but he's at our side to shield us from all harm. So he's both on the throne and with us. I mean, these are the things about God that I'm just like, what? As a kid, you grow up thinking God is just God in the sky. He's up there and he makes all these decisions over me. And as you begin to read the Gospels, you realize he doesn't just have authority over you. He actually stands with you. And this is the personal aspect of Jesus that is mind-blowing. That wherever you're at in life and whatever it is that you're going through right now, that he's with you and he's over you. And he's around you. God's above us as king and next to us as friend. It's crazy. He speaks of shade, which again speaks of his protective presence that he overshadows us with his care at our right hand which is the 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 hand of power but on the same token he makes it very personal right speaking of his personal preference that it's not just his shade over us that it's upon our right hand like he's personal when you wake up he's there when you lay down he's there all throughout the day and all throughout the night he's there the sun and the moon he's there day and night all the time he's with you Psalm 91, 1 through 2 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. And then the fourth thing, the last thing is this that the Lord's protection is around us. And He says this in 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil, He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This whole idea of being kept is really interesting. Uh, because this whole, the way that he uses this word keep, we often would think he pulls us out of, Right? If the Lord kept us from it, then he places me in this Christian sphere, in this bubble where I can't be affected by anything that's going on around me. And so God, just his protection on me, just like keeps me in this Christian sphere so that if I walk with Jesus, life can't hit me. Evil can't have access to me, can't touch me. And that's not the keep that he's using. Like this whole idea of being kept from all evil doesn't imply this trouble-free life that some of us signed up to follow Jesus for. It doesn't imply this well-protected life. It embraces the truth of Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 that says, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That he will redeem all things. That what the enemy meant to steal, kill, and destroy, God will use to bring what? Life abundantly to you. What an awesome thing that God takes, the the worst attacks that the enemy can launch at you, and he begins to redeem them and use them for his glory and to draw other people to himself through those things that you go through in your life. He's not keeping you from all things. He's keeping you in the midst of all things. You are in the world, but not of the world, right? You're in the midst of it all, but God is keeping you. You are secure in him. Is life painful? Is it? Not a rhetorical question. Yeah. Life is hard. But is life paralyzing? No. And we often equate pain with paralysis. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you are completely knocked out God's with you in your pain and and I, I think that's where we get hung up sometimes is that we assume that pain has to be paralyzing but it's not the case you don't have to be defeated by life church maybe some of you just need the reminder this morning of who he is and what he's done for you maybe some of you actually need to acknowledge what worship looks like in your life when you deny yourself and you make much of him To acknowledge His ways, and then he talks about this going out and coming in, which means every aspect of your life. And I think the, the the psalmist is drawing attention to these details of life that God is in the big things and God is in the little things and. Uh, another commentator said this, that the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God, And in going to God, believers travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers. They're citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gas. They fear the same dangers. They're subject to the same pressures. They get the same distresses and are even buried in the same soil. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath that we breathe, we know that we're preserved by God and for God. Amen? That's unlike the rest of the world if you didn't know that. You may share a life with them, but you do not share the same spirit. God is with you, keeping you. I want to ask the worship team to come up here. and I'll end on this. How many of you guys have heard of the renowned uh, missionary David Livingstone? Have you guys ever heard him? Or yeah, yeah, our African peeps know who he is. Before David Livingstone went to Africa, um, he read Psalm 121 and Psalm 135 uh, in a time of worship before he left. In, in 1840, this was, he read both these psalms, and um, interestingly enough, he, he didn't know that he'd never return, that he'd die on the mission field. But how appropriate for all of us who see ourselves as pilgrims this morning, on this journey through life, going to the Lord, in this world that's not our home, that, that we would lift our eyes to the hills from where our help comes, Amen? that we would lift our eyes, that we would understand that it's not even at the hills, that we're lifting our lives to the Lord, that that's where our help comes from. And this makes a ton of sense in light of the the redemptive storyline of the Bible. Um, Think about this. It, It was from a hill that we received our ultimate help, didn't we? On Golgotha. Salvation as Jesus was crucified on this cross at the place of the skull. And evidently God really likes high places Think of Mount Moriah. God provides a ram for Abraham, sparing his only son Isaac, which was this preview of God not sparing his son as he paid in full the penalty of our sins on this mountain. Think of Moses coming down from the mountain, from the hills, with God's law, a law that the word says is now actually written upon our hearts. Think of Jesus on the mount, on the hillside, as he delivers the Beatitudes message, like the greatest sermon ever preached from the side of this hill. Think of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, being transfigured with the Father, and then the Father declaring from heaven, this is my beloved Son. Think of Jesus on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24, like painting this picture of the end times. Think of Jesus crucified on this hill bearing all of God's wrath for sinners. Think of the great commission that Jesus delivered to his church on what Matthew refers to as the mountain which Jesus has had appointed them. Think of the times that Jesus ran to the mountains for prayer to seek his Father. Think of Jesus on the Mount of Olives ascending back to heaven and promising us what? That he would leave behind what? our Comforter, the Helper, the Spirit of God. And finally, think about John on Patmos as he receives this vision from God that we know is the book of Revelation. And in chapter 21, 10 and 11, he wrote this. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper, clear as crystal. This is the God who's our help. Amen? Why would you look anywhere else in life? Why? Some of you have been looking at the ground in front of you in your life. As you journey through, you're just looking directly beneath of you, beneath you. And it's sort of like you're warned in driver's ed, right? What do they tell you? Get your eyes up. Look a few cars down the road. Don't look directly in front of you because you'll actually miss it. And some of you are navel-gazing. You're just staring at the road in your life. Some of you have been looking to the mountains, and God's asking you to look past the mountains this morning and to look to him. And so where does my help come from? If there's anything that I think we learned from Psalm 121, it's this. If you're expecting help to come from anything or anyone else other than the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, Yahweh, then you're going to be extremely disappointed in your life. Because human beings, no matter how kind, no matter how loving, no matter how well-intentioned, They ultimately fail us, don't they? I don't mean to shock you guys, but somebody in this room is going to fail you at some point, and you may even be married to them. But the Lord won't. Our God is steadfast. Our God is rock solid. In Psalm 124, David said this, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I just wanted you guys to have this reminder this morning of who he is and what he's done. That no matter where you're at in life this morning, he will keep you if you'll call upon his name. He has you in the palm of his hands. He is not just little God, but the God, creator of the universe that is here with us today. And holding your hand through every step of life. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your steadfastness. I thank you for your patience with us, God. I thank you for your grace for us, Jesus, as I'll be the first to admit, Lord, that there's so many times that I reach for everything but you in life to try to get help. Jesus, I thank you for your salvation, Lord, for ultimately the greatest help you provided for us was sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins to bear the wrath of sin that we would inherit new life and I pray for those in this room that have never called upon the name of Jesus as the only one that can save and if you're here this morning and God's tugging on your heart I just do not want to make this difficult to you for you, but just acknowledge Jesus as Yahweh. He is the king, the God, the one and only. He bled brutally on a cross for you and lost his life so that you would find life, that you would be forgiven, that you would be saved, set free, that you would have salvation. And So God, I pray that you come into the hearts of those that call upon your name this morning, that you, Lord, would save them. And I pray for your church that sits here this morning, that, that is, there's some in this room that are just wishy-washy, Lord. They, there's so many things in their life leading them this way and that. It's as though they, they, they just are not founded or grounded on anything. And I pray this morning they be reminded, God, that they can trust you. That they can plant their foot firmly upon you, even if they find themselves in some trivial times in their life. That, God, you hold their life in your hands. Jesus, bless this church. May worship erupt from within us because we can't contain it, God, because we love you and we desire to worship you so greatly, Lord. We want your name to be lifted high, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.